welcome to episode three from Trevor Whittington, CEO of WA Farmers. So um, what am I, the host, am I? Over to you guys. Well, you've done this before, Trevor. You know that we're too lazy to make up an introduction. I know. I know. I, I listen to a podcast called uh, uh, Power Energy, and uh, the host expects the everyone he interviews to uh, talk about themselves for a minute. And there's all these alphas, you know, global leaders that struggle um, when they're put on the spot to talk about themselves for six seconds. For a whole minute. Yeah, that's for a long time. Well, they either stumble over words or they, you know, they start and they don't stop. You know, they've, they've barely got, uh, they've got, they can talk for hours about themselves. Forget what they're there for. Well, anyway. we've, we've, we found that at the uh, VFF conference last week, uh, trying to moderate panels. There'll be some, <laughs> and I've seen it, I've seen it at panels across the country, is that, you know, one minute for an opening statement becomes 15 minutes. And every, yeah. an, every answer becomes, and I'm, I'm a person that's, I'm short with words get to the point but you know 15 minutes for an answer well even when you tell them up front we don't want we don't want a commentary just you know give us your questions and as when i worked in the political world i was trained by a a brilliant minister great speaker and he said most people's attention span was an ex-school teacher they don't last more than 11 seconds so if you can't make your point in 11 seconds forget it and that's the media grab so so that's the podcast finished that's well, it. That's right. Right. We've, we've had 40 seconds. So, uh... There you go. We've got to have whatever you know, time together of me talking in 11 seconds. <laughs> so, Trevor, we'll we'll get into it as normal with the sixth sense. Um, we're not going to even explain it anymore because we're not getting that many new listeners. Everyone's everyone's heard it before. So, Matt, you go first. The voice. Uh, uh, um. The voice, no. <laughs> the ACH, Ab- Ab- Aboriginal Cultural Heritage Act. Oh, we're doomed. I have to lighten the mood a little bit. Favourite band? Uh, the Who. Who? <laughs> that'll, that'll, get, that'll get all the younger, younger Showing listeners. Showing your age. Showing your age. I, I, I know the Who. I know the yeah. Who. Um, Live export of sheep. Oh, we got a problem. What about um? What about long car trip? Long car trips with uh, colleagues. <laughs> uh, uh, pick pick those who've got nothing to say. Is that us up to six or got uh, one? one more, mate? You got one more. Gun reform, Western Australia. Uh, Chiching boom. Remember that? Remember that? That girl in, what's it, uh, interviewed in King's Cross about a decade ago and um, there was a shooting in the cross and they interviewed this girl and all she said was, oh, you know, I saw someone run out and it was her chick boom and it was the you know, 11-second grab for media. Went berserk. It's been a long time since I've been to King's Cross. <laughs> of course. Uh, not, not that long, actually. But uh, uh, So... Yeah, the reason to get you on, Trevor, was to talk about all the happenings in WA, because mm. you guys have probably had most of the happenings. You've uh, got you've got a torrent of issues facing farmers over the last six months. Tor- torrent of political issues uh, led by you know live exports from our dear federal government, and uh, now uh, heritage issues, Aboriginal her- heritage, which has been a slow burn, but. Uh, 
It exploded out of the blocks on July the 1st, and we're in the brave new world of Aboriginal cultural heritage. The last, go, time go, we, go, the, the, the last time we had you on, we, we kind of mentioned it, but there wasn't a lot of detail around it back then. So we thought it's a good chance now that the detail's been released to give us a bit of a rundown of exactly what's yeah. what's yeah. what's the situation. What what is yeah. the, uh, what is ECH Act? Right, uh, Aboriginal cultural heritage, like normal heritage, you know, protecting old buildings and uh, um, it's, it's cemeteries not, well, and whatever. No, there's no such thing as old buildings in Australia. No, that's. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> my shed's older than Australia. Oh, yeah. And you know, for, for, for us, a 10 shed's old. Um, 1972, uh, West Australian Aboriginal Cultural Heritage Act introduced, um, uh, sort of tonked along for the last 50 years, mostly used by the mining industry to allow them to um, disturb the ground and, um, you know, do exploration and mining. A really impacted freehold uh, farmland or private property in the sort of southwest corner of Perth metro area or anywhere else, country towns. And then um, you'll recall Junker Gorge and Rio blowing up. Uh, oh, two years ago, yeah? Yeah, uh, it's a few more than that, but four. Uh, and that, that, um, that, Kicked off a debate. There'd been a high. There'd been a legal challenge to uh, our state laws, which are getting a bit clunky. About a decade ago, and the previous coalition Liberal National Government redrafted them, but they got chucked out of office in 2017 before they could get it up. Ben White, uh, smart Indigenous Minister of Aboriginal Affairs, came in, revved it up, rewrote it. He pulled the pin. Left Parliament. Minister Dawson came in. Junker Gorge blew up. Um, they revved it up again. He got shuffled out, and we got a new minister in. Um, and the, the laws got jammed through Parliament because there's only two Liberals in the lower house, 59 seats. And it got jammed through Parliament, and um, the Libs and Nats were a bit paralysed, didn't really push back on the new drafting, uh, which was quite a marked change from the old one. And that was so they got caught up in the voice debate. No one wanted to be accused of being a racist, so no one really criticized it. And then it, um, uh, it was uh, the regulations were drafted over the last two years. Um, we got dropped on the industry, everyone just in March, April, and and then people woke up and going, What's this? What's this mean for farmers and private property owners? And the legislation kicked off on July the first, and people have been screaming the house down ever since. So, like, what are the requirements? I was going to say because most a lot of the listeners in this podcast are obviously in Scotland. Uh, so let's let's start at the basics. What right. does, what does it actually mean in real so, terms? So, indigenous culture, you know, back take pick 60,000 years, um, rock paintings, uh, spiritual. Uh, well, you know, places of importance, areas where they camped, places where they've done rock shards to do grinding stones and spears and whatever, um, areas of importance to Aboriginal people, you can't disturb them, burial grounds. Uh, um, you need permission from the government, permission from the local Aboriginal people. Relatively easy to get until July the 1st under the old Act, uh, incredibly difficult and expensive to get under the new Act. The problem with it is that the new Act defines cultural heritage to be basically anything, anywhere, anytime that can move. It can be intangible. It can be a story associated with 
a hill or a creek or a river. And so the question is, how, you know, can you disturb it and what is disturbing it? You know, can you go ploughing or deep ripping or push over trees? Um, in fact, can you do anything? And the 200 pages in the Act and 200 pages on the regulations basically say you can't do anything without getting permits and approvals and management plans. And that's where it gets interesting. So get, get, get to the it, specifics of what it means to a farmer then. What, what, what does it mean? Like... Uh, well, you if you want to put in a new shed or, or a new hay shed or new stockyards and you're going to put some foundations down below 50 uh, centimetres, um, foot and a half, then you probably need to check on the government's map and see if there's Aboriginal cultural heritage. And they'll show, oh, well, there's a sacred site nearby. The problem is the map's got 40,000 sites and they're growing all the time. And so the how do they grow? The map. Well, be, as people do surveys, I bring the local elders, cultural knowledge holders, out to your mine, your farm, your subdivision, your whatever you're doing on your land. Want to do? Uh, no longer do you just need town planning approval, you know, or, or to you know, if you farm, you don't need approvals to do deep ripping. But under the new legislation. Soil testing for, say, carbon farming, you know, drill a hole down 1.1 metres, remove five kilos of, of soil samples. You probably need to get the local Indigenous guys out to walk the dirt and decide whether that's important to them. The problem is this can be incredibly expensive. You know, we're thinking the mining guys are paying eighty dollars to $100,000 for a survey. We think we're probably paying fifteen dollars to $30,000. Sorry. And um, that's... That's almost anything because the Act has been quite loosely drafted. So there's a vast amount of confusion. Uh, and the problem is if you're found to have built a shed and, and it's been on top of a sacred site and the satellite's taken a photo and five years' time they someone knocks on the door saying, well, you've disturbed Aboriginal heritage, you've upset the woggle, the, the fines are up to $10 million. So extraordinarily harsh. Can and, you, uh, can, can you, Trevor, like you said before, there's a there's an online map that shows you these areas have been identified. If you've checked that and it all looks clear and then you go and do something, but then subsequent to what you've done a year or two later, that, that area does get listed by, you know, a local local kind of um, Indigenous group, can, can you retrospectively say, but at the time I did the work, it wasn't on there? Or is, yeah, this is... Can, this is yeah, it's a good question because um, uh, some sites aren't listed because they're secret, you know, Hindmarsh Island, secret men's and women's business. Some are being updated all the time. And uh, it depends on the level. you got tier one, tier two, tier three ground disturbance, how much you can disturb. Our legal advice is that almost all farming activities would now require a permit. Permit will cost you $500. So you probably almost have to do a full farm survey every year. Now, the government says that's not the case, but. Can I ask an ignorant towards... question? Go. And this is an ignorant question coming from somebody that's not massively spiritual in any way. Right. Let's say, for instance, you've got a church, yeah? Mm. A church, Notre Dame. It's a spiritual place, yeah? Mm. But before Notre Dame was there, it was just an empty, vacant bit of ground, yeah? So it wasn't spiritual. Then it becomes spiritual because the church goes on. Like, Aboriginal spiritualness is still an ongoing thing, yeah? 
Yeah. So, so can an area that is devoid of spiritual stuff become spiritual because the present day elders deem that it's important to them because it's spiritual. The same as like if I build a church tomorrow or a mosque, that land becomes spiritual. Okay. Sacred, spiritual. Yeah. So, it, so, it's, so it's not it's not set in concrete, is it? No, no, it's, you're, you're entirely correct. It it can change, as I said, anytime, anywhere. So, heritage values can change. So, your farm might be you might survey your farm, spend twenty thousand dollars, have the indigenous come out and they have a look. So there's nothing to worry about. But that's not forever. You can't put that on your land title, and you can't then take it to your bank and say, so I'm free from cultural heritage, so I'm good to go, because it's already hit, already impacting property values, particularly in subdivisions. Um, you know, uh, So in five years' time, someone could say, well, guess what, the woggle, as they term it over here, is one of the spiritual beings linked to the land, to the water, has just moved in. And so you can't do anything without having a management plan to minimise the impact. So we go, well, how can you disturb the wobble? And they're going, well, that's not for you to worry about. You are impacting it. And so, yes, the biggest issue is you can't just spend 20 grand, have your farm surveyed, and away you go forever and a day. You have to probably have continual surveys every time you want to do something major, and that's is, causing is, a lot of grief. Is there is there clarity around what areas constitute which particular group or are there overlaps so that you might have oh, some yeah. areas? Another really yeah, good you... question. Yeah, so they think there'll be about what they call local Aboriginal cultural heritage services groups. There's about 40 identified as probably representing the various mobs across the state. With now, I think there might be 60. State government's written a check, 300 grand for the first 40 of these to get up. The problem with defining their area, you know, most of them will have, say, three or four shires, probably a couple of, you know, 150 k's by 150 k's rough area. That's their area of historic family rotation movement, uh, probably 150 people plus or minus. Having worked for an Aboriginal corporation up in the Kimberley, it's not like getting the Surveyor General out and marking it down to the last millimetre of which, what's your boundary fence? There's long protracted disputes going, well, that hill range is, is the Budabadarangari mob, who I work for. But the other mob next to them go, well, no, no, no. When I wear at the top of the hill, you're at the bottom of the hill. It's completely undefined. So we go to the government, who do we talk to? And they're going, well, you, you know, need to sort it out with them. But they're in dispute. And it gets even better because you'll have family groups who are split It'll be three or four alpha family groups within a mob. And, of course, there's a lot of money at stake these days to do these surveys because come out in a survey, you get paid $1,200 per elder. Um, and the more more real estate you've got to be surveying, the more incentive it is to sort of fight to expand your territory to what the Europeans have been doing for thousands of years. I was, I was going to say... to the Irish. I was going to say, this just, this just reminds me of the, the clans in Scotland where where borders were a fluid thing. And that hill is ours, but no, it's theirs as well. That's right. So, well, the, the Russians and the Ukrainians Ukraine. are busily debating this at the moment with the help of some a lot of artillery. Uh so, 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 so there is a potential that you could be a farmer wanting to do something quick, like put up, yeah. put up a new bunk. CBH here's a good example. CBH yeah. want, 
we've got a massive harvest coming, not this year, but in the future. Yeah. We need to put up a bunker quickly. And it's in, I don't know, on a, two, two shires or two family zones. Yeah. You could go to them, but they could be two arguing about A, whether it's spiritual or not, and B, what it should yeah. be. Yeah, yeah. And, and you want to know how it's going to work out? You only have to look at the West Australian mining industry for the last... 50 years, particularly uh, the last uh, 40 since native title came along and some very, very bitter, long protracted legal disputes over um, whose real estate, has, who has control of which real estate. And then there's and then there's big internal disputes and that can hold up mining development, has held up mining developments, cost a lot of money. And we're saying it shouldn't happen to us. There must be a way through and um, in fact, you know, there's a dispute between the two peak bodies, Pastoral and Grazing Association, the mob I work for, WA Farmers, on how to respond to this. PGA want the whole lot thrown out. We want, you know, um, freehold farmland to be exempt from cultural heritage. And you've got the government in a very, you know, you know, we've got the Minister for Heritage who's written three books on reconciliation. He's an academic lawyer, Booty, he's out of his depth. Um, he's paralysed because he can see this as, you know, part of the greater scheme of things. The new Premier Cook is married to an Indigenous woman. They're caught up in the, rec- in the voice debate. It's causing them grief politically. It, it's a, it's a full-bore fight over here in Western Australia. Yeah, is it, but is there anything, like, do you think there is something that can be done in terms of changing? I, I thought now I mean, it's pretty much the legislation's in now, right? So yeah, walking yeah, walking right. it back is going to be hard, isn't it? And politically very hard because, you know, we was calling for a delay moratorium, you know, to, and uh, full steam ahead. They've been just smashed in the polls. There was a poll came out the other day. It's completely collapsed. The government, the new premiers and all sorts of grief. Albanese and his mob in Canberra are yelling at them to get it off the front page. It's constantly on the front page. It's in the media. Um, they, uh, they, they're they saying they're going to change it. They need to change it, but it's going to be difficult for them to do it because you've got an Indigenous group saying, hang on, <laughs> this is our time to, to shine because of all the mining guys and the pastoral and, and Pilbara have made a lot of money. We want to protect our heritage. but So we're saying we, we, we think there's a, a high court challenge saying Aboriginal heritage has been extinguished on freehold land, we, but that's you know, a million and a half, two million dollars and probably five years to get there. We're actually calling for the government to, you know, there's 5,000 farm businesses in Western Australia, to actually go across and spend 30, 40 million bucks and survey all the farms instead of us paying the 20 or 30 grand each. Mm. They do it because we reckon most of the heritage sites, uh, you know, the Granite Hills or the creek lines, the Granite Hills, who, you know, you haven't cleared them because they're granite. There's plenty of them across WA. And uh, you can't clear them. They're good as useless. So that's fine. The creek lines, well, you know, you're not, you're not cropping them. So we can park them up. And if the government wants to take them back, like they do with main roads, they come and value general values those few couple of hectares and you bang a fence around it they pay you land value plus 10 percent market value and everyone gets on with their lives can i can i ask another ignorant question and i'm probably going to get in trouble in this before we get cancelled because of this podcast yeah. uh but right so then let me just get it straight in my head yeah i've got a field a paddock 
and I want to put down a shed. And I'm going to put a big, massive shed for fertilizer and whatever else. I'm going to put some concrete footings down, a couple of silos, whatever else. Yeah? So it's going to disturb the land and it's going to remove the spiritualness of the land, whatever that may be. I can still do that as long as I get approval. So they, yeah, they, that's I might have, you, I, I might have to yeah. pay money to the local. Yeah, you're not in the, the mining. It's interesting because the mining guys, there's been a bit of a formula developed. So if you wanted a heritage study to do some, you you got a hundred square kilometers of land. You wanted to run the grader up and down and grid it out, and then do a heap of soil sampling. They would come out and you pay your 80, 100 grand and they'd walk the dirt and um, look for artifacts and say, you can't put the track here, you can put it there, whatever. And then you do an agreement and then there would be a side payment of about 1% to 2% of your exploration budget. So you'd pay another 100, 200 grand for 10 million exploration budget. Then if you found anything, invariably there was always heritage where the mine was. Now, often it was because you're digging up a rocky outcrop that was of interest to them. But the royalty, you do a deal. You destroy the yeah, site. So that's my point, yeah? My point was going to be that there's a value to spiritualness. Yeah. So, so, in the, so, so yeah. Let's, say, let's say, for instance, let's say, for instance, I went and said, right, I'm going to go to, I don't know, who, who's a, who's the president of Israel just now? Netanyahu. I go to him and say, right, I want to demolish, I want to put up a Starbucks. So I want to destroy, remove the Wailing Wall. Mm. That's a spiritual thing. Mm. Or, or the mosque. Mm. And I say, I want to build a McDonald's on there. There's not a price that I as Starbucks and McDonald's could pay for that spiritualness. Mm. So how is there, a, surely it's either spiritual and you can't do anything on it, or it's not. Well, in the mining deal, there was always a, a formula and you could buy your way through it. Under how it applies to us, we don't know. So what they say is you come out and do a survey and they say, well, this is important. Where are you going to do it? We found some rock. But, 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 and... it, but it can't be important if you're willing to take money for it. Well, that's... <laughs> that's what I like, Yeah, yeah, well... Let's, let's well, knock down the pyramids. Well, so that's right. So the, the, the next step, they say, well, you minimise the impact and you do that by you get a management plan, and that might involve having an Indigenous person sit there for the construction of the shed to make sure you minimise the impact. It's a way of payment. And so it becomes a transactional way of getting your approval. Yeah, but I don't, don't... I, I'm still confused, right? Well, because, yeah. because there's this, I'm not a spiritual guy, but I'm paraphrasing, but spiritual value and internal you know, feelings and stuff are more important than money. So how are we able, how are we able to get around? Well, and then, well, there's, and there's two, well, there's two sites that one can be spiritual. One can be, we just found some uh, grinding stones there. Hmm. That's heritage value important. So you, you minimize the disturbance. I go and collect them all and survey, do an archeological survey. And so that's at a cost. So you've got the intangible spiritual and you've got the tangible, there's a rock painting. Can we build the building around the rock painting or uh, artwork or whatever? And and look, there's so much unknown on this and it's pushed the cost onto uh, property owners unless you've got less than a quarter acre. 
So if you're below 1,100 square metres, you know, you're home and hose. You can put your swimming pool in. But if you're on a farm, you can't put a swimming pool in because your block is bigger than 1,100 square metres. If you're in Perth and you're multi-millionaire and you've got 1,000 square metres on the Swan River overlooking you know, a very nice site, you want to put in a boat shed, no worries. You don't, you're exempt. But if you're in the tiny town, you know, you're in Muck and Boudin, all of 200 people, and you're on a two-acre block, and you're you know a battler, and you live in your old house, and you want to put a, a shed up at the back to put your old holding in. Um, guess what? You'll need a heritage survey. So the lunacy of it is they've tried to exempt the majority of the voters, but they've caught the the, the property owners and particularly the farmers. So the difference is you've got a house that's already you got. A t- 2,000 square metre block here. It's already developed. Or you've got a commercial property that's already there and developed. You're not going to be stung with this because it's already... It's already... So does that mean that you're going to have an issue where it's going to be harder to develop housing? Harder to develop... Yeah. Well, Let's say, for instance, your retail, your elders are nutrient and you want to put in a new store in Market Budden, let's say. Mm. You get stung for what I think I read somewhere that it was something like, uh, what was it? I can't remember the figures, but it was huge figures anyway. Like you had to do a survey for 100,000 because it's based on your overall income globally. And then you had an annual fee on top of that. But if you had, it just means that properties that are existing are, existing are going to be worth much more, where it's going to be such a hassle to create any greenfield. It's not exactly particularly good for economic development no no, it's an interesting one well uh it's going to hit uh subdivisions and it's going to push up the price of land uh you know we're still getting 30 50,000 people coming into west australia every year and they're going to the outskirts mostly of perth um but we're already seeing you know that it's another impost and cost it might restrict the amount of you know uh, properties they can put on that because they have to hive off a bit and there's no compensation for your loss of your property right. You know, someone's just a game example the other day. They've got a up at Exmouth, uh, they've got a few acres, they want to sub it up, but they're likely to have to pay a, a thirty or $40,000 um, uh, cost for inheritance. Someone has to bear that cost. Uh, another example, some unexpected consequences, um, bushfire control. We have 67,000 fires a year in WA. Um if once the fire emergency, if there's emergency, you can do what you like, run around with a bulldozer. As soon as the emergency ends, then to do a mop up, you might have to do a survey because you're going to run around with the dozer, the front end loader, pushing up trees. You could damage heritage. So the Department of Defence over here is now saying a bushfire lasts till the last emblem goes out, the emergency, yeah. which could take weeks. Uh, to get around the, you know, one department so trying to get around the other. So they're, they're, trying to, they're trying to cover their backs. Yeah, well, they, they have to. Uh, mm-hmm. Here's another one. Uh, biosecurity, wild dog control, um, group of farmers, 60 farmers up in the uh, middle of the state uh, need to go and roar around on back tracks, um, baiting, um, shooting wild dogs. Well, they, they can't, be, can't be shooting anymore, Trevor, because guns are gone. No, that's right. The guns are gone, <laughs> WA. So it's a gun-free state. Um so you know, they might have an under $150,000 a year budget. They've just got a, 
a quote for $30,008 to do a heritage survey. Um, you know, it's just, it, it's it's the, the consequences across a lot of different, you know, sectors, uh, uh, you know, it's going to impact how we do business. The unfortunate thing is, it's, it's very divisive within the community um, because most of the developed wheat belt area, we haven't seen Indigenous people wandering around stopping at sites or wanting, you know, um, a, a lot of that knowledge has gone. So it's now going, well, that's important. We're going, well, you don't even recall the Indigenous name. Now, you don't want to dismiss it, but you, you're raising the, right, right, the correct question. At what cost? Just bringing in, you mentioned in the in the outset at the start there, we spoke live X briefly, and you mentioned that that's a bit of a disaster presently too, right? Mm. But part of part of the whole, if, if we're going to see a phase out, part of making a sustainable um, sheep and wool sector for WA, if live export goes, is things like the expansion of you know feedlots for lambs, the expansion of um, so you can process domestically. Um, some of that stuff. Is going to require. It's already it's already bogged down in permits and EPA approvals and a whole range yeah. of things. Anyway, the overlay of this ACH um, is is also going to potentially make that an unviable level to be able to expand parts of the supply chain that need it. If you get rid of LiveX as well, right? Yeah, correct. It's sending the signals to investors. It's like it's just too hard. You know, you know, you look for another uh, another state to do this. But of course, the problem we've got is every other state's. Also, there's been a sort of a national agreement to actually protect heritage in the back of Junker Gourd. And even the feds are uh, going to rev up theirs, but uh, they backed off really rapidly two days ago saying they're not going to override state legislation. But it's like farm safety. They all said they you know, uh, coordinate farm safety, um, industrial safety legislation. So uh, whichever state goes first... Um, sets the bar, the other states tend to actually lift it. We were the last state with with the um, industrial manslaughter laws and we got the most draconian. We're the first state with the heritage laws and we're already getting the other states uh, and we're getting peak bodies. Certainly we've spoken to South Australia farmers and the Queensland farmers, uh, of course, uh, briefing their boards going, hang on, is this going to come to us? And we're going, you bet, uh, we already know they most of this heritage legislation is being rewritten across Australia. So the state government here is walking backwards, but how far and how fast they do it is quite a left-wing government. We'll, we'll only know in the next you know six months. But unless they give exemptions for freehold land that's been disturbed and ploughed for the last, you know, here 50 to 150 years, um, uh, you know, we're going to be caught with as basic things as doing soil sampling for carbon farming, you know, you don't want to do 100 soil samples across 1,000 hectares, you probably have to spend an extra 20 grand in getting a heritage survey because the government's defined that as not soil testing but soil sampling, the same as the mining industry. Yeah. And, and you're going down below 500 mils. Um, uh, and the government says, oh, you've got nothing to fear if you've got no heritage. But when you say, well, the, how the Act you know? says how, heritage, how do, you know? how do you know? And it can change over time. And we found in the mining industry, you know, when we used to bring out one or two elders to come and, you know, walk the walk the exploration site for heritage, now they're up to 10, two land cruisers full. 
And so the costs keep escalating. There's no cap on it. And uh, when we raise this, and there's been large public meetings, you know, three and four hundred people. I was, I was going to um, ask you. I was going to ask you about that Catanning meeting in a second. But but just talking about elders and nutrient, uh, there was. I used those numbers a second ago. If you, because it's based on your global revenue, yeah, a company like Elders or CBH is one hundred twenty thousand for an application with 22 and a half annual fee. Nutrient and Bungie, because they're such large global entities, 340 for your initial application and 52 grand a year. Yeah, that, that's, that, that, that's designed for mining companies. Well, that's right. And the, and the biggest mining companies, uh, their fee is $1.3 million for their heritage, and but it only lasts 20 years. And um, so what we've got is uh, 13 large indigenous groups across the sort of, wheat build area of WA getting cranked up at the moment. And they're all looking at the Pilbara and the Kimberley going, we want some of the revenue stream they've got. And of mm. course, a lot of that's been also linked to mining and mining royalties. You know, it has literally been billions of dollars flowing into these trust accounts. Most of it's flown, uh, flown, flowed out uh, equally as fast. There's very little to show for it. And for some reason, we now need a voice in camera to just explain how we fix this. But that's not going to fix the problem, but it's not, it's not a debate. So we, 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 we've we got a we've got the wheat belt guys going, well, we want some of that. And um, every farmer's going, hang on, I need to build a new... Every year I'm looking to do something, deep ripping, uh, uh, put a culvert over the creek, um, a hay shed, stockyards. I'm probably going to have to have a heritage survey and it's very unlikely they'll give you a heritage survey that's forever saying the woggle won't ever appear on your farm. It is likely we'll come and survey for your particular disturbing activity, as they're calling it, well, where your shed's going to be, that 1,000 square metres for your 1,000 square metre hay shed. And if you want anything else, we'll come back next year. And we, so, um, as a, Trevor, we, we mentioned before about that potential of overlap of different mobs with you know, different kind of ownership that they're claiming. And you, and you spoke too about that in potentially having one identified mob that have differing views within the group, right? Yeah. Who, who's the final arbiter in terms of, you know, uh, is, it a, is it a government that says, okay, this area is, if it's even one area and it's a, a specific to one particular mob, does the government say, oh, these are the, these are the authorised spokespeople for that? Like who, who, who decides who those ones are that are going to make the decision within the mob? And if you have got a situation where you've got some kind of a, Political battle within the mob of different different you know kind of entities or families or whatever you want to you know term that are quite different in their approach and views, but they're still part of the same mob of that area. Which one's the one that's the proper it's, authority it's, to I make a decision? That, uh, that's what I was wondering because, like in any family, I remember going back to Scotland, Scottish independence referendum twenty fourteen. Yeah, there was members of our family who massively argued and f fell out about it or had very differing opinions on the same thing. Like and is there, a is there a register of saying, right, I'm in this area, this is the recognised mob for this area or where the land is that I'm wanting to do something on, therefore I go to this, this group of people and if I get their permission and approvals or whatever, I'm sweet. But it could be the case that there's another of the same mob that uh, you know don't agree with that particular group, right? Yeah, there's no, there is no lines of maps and there is no... Uh, definition of who's important within the mob. 
So again, the twelve or so wheat belt guys, uh, we've gone, to the, we've written to the government on this very question, and we've got no reply because there's when we've asked in group uh, in uh, industry meetings, department has given us three different answers. They don't know. One is the groups will work it out themselves. Well, we see in the mining industry, it's twenty years of it goes through the courts. Secondly. There's a, a, a council that's been set up by the government where they've appointed people and they've given them some powers, but it hasn't, the powers are not definitive to actually define lines on maps. So it's undefined there. And the minister has some powers um, and the department has powers. Uh, it is uncertain. And so we think it'll be sorted out in the courts over the next 20 years. So the problem is, as I was, you talk to a bunch of farmers in the media and want to interview a farmer about this stuff, and uh, most farmers won't stick their head up now because they need a working relationship with your local, you know, Indigenous family groups. But there's often three or four alpha families in an area, and um, uh, they can be warring with each other. You pick the wrong mob to, group to bring out. So uh, what do you do? Um, uh, people are keeping a very low profile. Um, what defines what, sure what to do? What defines it? Like, uh, this is a negrant question again. I think the fourth or for the fourth one. Uh, but this is coming as somebody who isn't from Australia. I don't know very little about Aboriginal heritage or culture. What defines an elder? Well, what defines someone as Indigenous? You can self define, but and uh, under the I don't know, there's a million people who just clicked over as defining themselves as Indigenous now, up from 600,000, you know, eight years ago, two censuses ago. Uh, now you need to be accepted into a mob. So when I was working for Boonabar up in the Kimberley, there was about 500 in the mob. Now they spent a lot of time arguing with people whether they're part of it because they're closing the books, particularly if they're in part of a, a mining royalty stream. And so you now have to be accepted within the broader family group. And um, uh, then you can be part of multiple groups because you can be intermarried and et cetera. So, but what, but what, uh, what makes one of them the, the leader of that mob? Well, whoever's the most vocal. Um, we've seen that in these uh, um, industry groups where you get a couple of Indigenous girls standing up, um, easy blokes, uh, at the front yelling at each other because they say, well, hang on, you farmers in the Meriden area, you come and talk to us. And somebody goes, no, 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 you're not, you're not representative. You know, you're from Northern. You don't forget that then. We're the, the cultural knowledge holders and away they go. It's pretty full This is, we spent a thousand years in Europe sorting out boundaries. Um, well, still fixing still fixing those now. That's right. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's, this is not, none of this is good. Like it, Australia, uh, I should remember this from my uh, citizenship test. Australia is secular, yeah? Yep. It's a secular nation. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, correct. But spiritualism is not secular. No. How, do you, how do you mean? Well, like if you think about what did you call it? The spiritual being? Wagga? The Woggle. 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 That's a religious thing, yeah? Yeah, it's supposed to be the separation of powers. I'm, I'm just curious about how that relates. Like we have, in Scotland, we had the Kelpies. 
or whatever, yeah, which is our water horse things, water horse, whatever they are, yeah. Uh, I thought it was a Loch Ness monster. We got that's still around, uh, but that's now we're talking about spiritual, mythical things, not real (laughs) things. Oh, that's 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 the tangible versus your intangible, okay, yeah. And and then we've we've got the unicorn as our national animal, animal. oh, that's that's true too, but. But surely, like, I don't, I just don't, I, I'm not very, I guess I'm not very comfortable with decisions around business and government policy being made around religion, which I wouldn't be happy. Oh, with. Well, I, no. I, like, I wouldn't, I'm not happy when it's around Christian things. Yeah, we're, we're, not, we're yeah, we're, and it gets worse because it, this is all linked with the accusations of being racist if you're not supportive of it. So we've seen the Liberal National Party here be paralysed for two years and it took a, a lot of motivation to get them to come out and say they would change the act if they came into power because they were too scared of, you know, being accused of, you know, running racial arguments. But, you know, we do need clarity on this. This is about property rights hmm. and um, and rent-seeking and in uh, the powers to restrict what you do on your freehold property right. If the government wants to, for whatever reason, say that this is... There's a cemetery on your property, right? That on your private property. That's fine. That they can pay commercial market, take it off us. The government doesn't want to do that. So the part of your small farm on the Avon Valley could be sterilised, and it's probably value reduced remarkably, remarkably because you can't put your, I don't know, your pig farm on it. You know, your, you know, pig shed. <laughs> Um, you, guys had, you, know, you don't need a lot of land to have a pig shed, but if you can't use part of it. And so you're restricted to the bit that's a bit close to the creek and then the Department of Environment comes along and says, well, you can't put your pig shed so close to the creek. Well, you can, but you're going to have to spend a lot more money on engineering. So the cost can roll on. And we're going, well, if the government wants to do this, they can write a cheque, but the government doesn't want to do that. They don't want to pay for the surveys. They don't want to recognise that heritage can just constantly change. They don't want to recognise it. Well, it's highly likely to be abused or will be abused. And we're already seeing it being abused because we've got our Aboriginal groups coming out saying, well, the tree planting is a response from a cyclone a few years ago up in Geraldton. Um, they wanted it stopped because you know, they weren't being paid or supported. And um, it's just opened this door to a very divided community. Do you think the like the voice thing is obviously there's a referendum in November? It hasn't or, been set yet the date. Yeah. Well, no, it's no. end of this year, though, isn't it? Yeah, so I assume November. They're not going to do it in December. October's too soon. Um, so there's my bet. Ten dollars, Matt. November. November. The uh, I'll give you a date for it. Can we give us a date? That'd be a Saturday. Uh, November eleventh. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, was that after Melbourne Cup? Just after you know everyone's had a win on the Melbourne Cup and everyone's and punted. Yeah, uh, Yes, then. Yeah. But but oh. poll, but polling is showing that it is going to no. Yeah, and and like I've we've I've been through referendums, Brexit, Scottish independence, whatever else, and generally the way you can win a referendum is creating uncertainty, yeah, and making people know. Well, if you've got people, people generally are conservative by nature, even if they're on the left of politics, they're still conservative. In if something is unknown to them, and there's no detail, they don't vote for it. I'll go back to Scottish independence. We didn't know which kind of currency we we're going to be using, so people said, "Well, I don't want a euro." Mm. And so that was one mm. of the big sticking points. Yeah, because, kill, bit, kills it. Yeah. And that killed it. And whereas mm. here, here, there's not many details. 
on the force. But then you've got things like Aboriginal Cultural Heritage Act, which is creating a lot of consternation in the West. But like you say, it's on the press in the front cover every day. And, mm. it's, not, and it's not just farming communities that are concerned about it. Yeah. People are concerned about creeping into other aspects of life, yeah. especially, especially when we're in a high inflationary period where people are paying a lot more money for products. So do you think this, do you, I guess the question is, do you think the situation in WA is potentially going to lead to this referendum collapsing? Uh, there's absolutely no doubt uh, the polling uh, that I've seen uh, that it's influencing people's views. Um, they're seeing a, a direct linkage between uh, this, it's, it's essentially an overreach uh, into private property. You know, anyone who's got more than a quarter acre or anyone who's worried about, you know, economic development. And so then they're going, well, hang on, there's uncertainty about the voice. Um, mind you, it doesn't seem to be uncertainty in, in some people's minds. The voice can talk about uh, nuclear submarines and defence and all sorts of stuff. Uh, these days, how how is how is that good for you know Australia as a whole? Um, isn't there already four hundred different organisations speaking on behalf of Indigenous? Um, and the same as isn't there already you know under the previous Act there was a heritage rule that wasn't impacting private property and it hasn't for the last fifty years? Um, why are we careering down this path? The government will say, oh well. We could have, but you've never enforced the law. And it was a workable law because uh, the, you know, the grey areas remain grey. And there was probably one prosecution in the southwest of the state a year for the last 10 years. Now there's literally going to be hundreds and a vast expense to property owners. So back to your question, has it influenced the debate? Without a doubt. Absolutely. What, you, you, so, made, you, you made the point earlier, Trevor, as well, about if you if you express any kind of opposition or a difference of opinion towards that, this current cultural heritage act, that that implies a level of racist approach or, or whatever. And, and obviously, you've said before you've, you've worked before with indigenous community in other roles. Um, and I, I suspect too that we're, and you're in this boat too. We're not we're not necessarily saying that there shouldn't be recognition of culturally heritage significant sites and, and a corrective treatment of those sites and whatever else. It's not so much in the idea of it, it's in the application of it that we've got issues. Is that right? Yeah, we repeatedly said, you know, cultural heritage, like all heritage, should be protected, no problem. You know, six or 7,000 farms, you guarantee half of them have got a site of some value. That So let's map them while we've actually got cultural knowledge holders or elders who actually can remember why it's important instead of just saying, oh, there's a grinding stone there, it must be important. So where they can recall where there's burial sites, let's map them, let's fence them, let's protect them. But let's the state, you know, the Crown, pick up the tab for the surveys, you know, six or seven, you know, to identify those sites, 50 or $100 million. That's not a lot of money in a state like West Australia. If something's important, the state can do that over the next three years. It's probably a couple of hundred uh, elders, you know, let's get out there and do the survey work. And um, and then if it's going to impact, and mostly it won't impact farms because it's not right next to where you're building your shed next to your homestead complex. But if it is going to impact the farm, and then the state steps in and pays compensation because you diminish your freehold property rights. Because we know with it, but the, the state doesn't want to do that because they don't want to write a check, so they're pushing the costs onto us. And um, 
you know, the, the, but that's going to flow through down to subdivisions and should, should we, you know, we, housing prices. So we get it all the time, yeah, in the UK. Like we, we've had, like you said before, we've got thousands of years of invasions of almost every culture, from the Vikings, the Picts, the Romans, Saxons, various all sorts of others. The Germans in World War Two, uh, so you t- you tend to find <laughs> the Germans, the Germans, the Germans. Uh, actually, you're not supposed to call them the Germans. It's supposed to actually it's the Axis powers. Um, right. You're not supposed to highlight that it was the Germans. Anyway, but there's a lot of farmers will find stuff like we like in my district. There's a lot of metal detectors, and there's a guy a couple of years ago found a oh, huge treasure chest, sort of of Viking stuff mm. like coins mm. and all sorts of precious gems that mm. kind of things but they've got an agreement that basically the national trust or the national museum buys it and then it gets split the money between the farmer landowner mm-hmm. and mm. the person who found it mm. so, you, so you basically get an agreement with the farmer that you're allowed to go onto the farm and metal detect so there's a, it's kind of a distinct thing where everyone sort of wins the, the the country wins because they get access to see all this great heritage yeah. the farmer gets you know I think in our district, the guy got six hundred thousand pounds, mm-hmm. and uh, and the person who's finding it also gets a reward. So there's yeah. a, but it, but it strikes me as like it's the hard bit of it is like how indistinct it is because it's not written down, and that's obviously you know that type of culture is yeah, that it can, it can be sort of you can't argue you can't say something's not spiritual. Yeah, so this gets really interesting, you know, just because you've had a campsite where, you know, I can walk around, you know, most granite hills, rocks, and, you know, what you're looking for, you can find, you know, rock shards from um, chipping for, uh, you know, spear spear um, heads. And does that make that important? Because there's trillions and billions of these things around because most of them, like, only the one-shot wonders, these spearheads, because once you hit something, they shatter so just because there is evidence that someone camped there, does that make it culturally important? Or if it's you know, a really unusual geological formation or it's a creek or it's a freshwater, because not much freshwater spring in WA, then that was a good campground and it had a story and a song line attached to it that can still be recalled, that would elevate it. But we're not seeing sort of levels of cultural importance, you know, Uluru is rock, whatever you want to call it, obviously important. Fitzroy Crossing, where the mob I worked for, you know, Geki Gorge, very important. Uh, Wave Rock, 100 k's down from the farm here at Hyden, staggeringly important. Uh, top of Yellowing Lakes, top of the Avon River flows in the Swan River, important. Just, you know, 40,000 sites where you pick up some rock chips does that make it so important that, you know, we have to pay a $20,000 survey to identify them? Or is that just the fact that evidence that there was people wandering around for 60,000 years, you know, knocking rocks together to make, um, you know, axe handles or something? Um, no one wants to talk about it or have a discussion. They should be discussed. I, I think... Uh, knowing the loss of language the mob I work for, how important it is to try and capture those elders and put that money. The government should have put some money up front and had a much more frank conversation. Loading up property owners, farmers, with a level of uncertainty and then getting this massive backlash 
Uh, it's just been a huge wake-up call, but, you know, well, it's coming to the eastern states like a freight train. But I think, you know, maybe they'll be smart enough to state governments over there, mind you worry about Victoria, to actually not overstep as much as WA. But we'll have to watch to see how much this state government makes it workable, knowing that Marbo took them 10 years to make the, the Marbo legislation workable, at least three rounds of legislation and multiple high court challenges, let so alone all the fights over who owns which bit of real estate. So I've just, I've just Googled just now whilst we're on the definition of what makes something spiritual. Uh, spirituality involves the recognition of a feeling or sense or belief that there is something greater than myself, something more to be inhuming than sensory experience, and the greater whole of which our part is cosmic or divine in nature. Still doesn't say who determines that, though. Well, anyone determines <laughs> It's very like, subjective, isn't like, it? Like, like I, I was just thinking, uh, could I, like, the, 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 uh, you know, the place where I first kissed a girl... And oh, that's I felt that was once that event occurs, we'll be able to find that. Well, yeah, that's, she, she might not have the same memories. <laughs> at, at that time, it felt pretty subjective. It felt pretty divine to me at the time. <laughs> well, I'll tell you a story that they went to the high, UK High Court or Privy Council. Some guy back in the 70s, a sailor, decided that um, after Star Wars came out, what was the Darth Vader? What was the religion? What it was? What it was called? Uh, Force Sith Jedi. Jedi. He was a Jedi. He belonged to the Jedi, and um, they said, "Well, you can't belong to the Jedi because it's not a religion." So he got taken all the way to the oh, the Privy Council, or whatever UK had, and they ruled it in. You can't just rule out someone. You know, you make up. You can be Ron L. Hubbard and make up. You know, whatever that's religion cool. you like. That's like the um the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. You've heard of that one as well? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 a proper, it's a proper church and part of their religion is that they wear a, col a spaghetti colander, colander on their head as part of their attire. And in some states in America now, they've they've enforced that they can have their license taken with a spaghetti colander on their head, like a metal colander. And then they're, they're not allowed to they're not allowed to force them to remove the colander because it's part of their religion. Well, that's a, that's a real story. That's a real story. You're not allowed to laugh at that because that's 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 offensive to them. Exactly. So uh, let, let's get on yeah. to this, back to seriousness because we're trying to be uh, we're trying to rebrand yeah. as a serious podcast these days. Serious topics. Yeah. What was the he had a thing on in Katanning the other day? And I saw the pictures of it. It reminded me. Of yeah, yeah. So WA Farmers called a, a community uh, forum. We had David Littleproud come over and. We ran two issues, uh, live export. Um, so that's obviously been running hot for a long time. And and we um, had uh, heritage. Uh, we had a, a great turnout, 500 plus people. And we ended up with, you know, the predictable motions that we're holding the line on live export because the government hasn't told us, you know, what the social licence that we've apparently lost is. Uh, we've asked the government to define it. It's like defining heritage. What is social licence and how do the cattle guys or the rice irrigators or the cotton guys or the glyphosate or paraquat users know when they've crossed that myth mythical boundary? Um, Murray Watt hasn't replied to that sort of quite a serious question yet. Um, uh, and the same, we ra raised the issue on heritage and, um, you know, we... We put, I drafted some motions and put them up for debate. 
interesting one that got knocked out, I said heritage should apply to everything right down to the last square metre. So there should be no exemptions for below quarter acre blocks. And the, and, and the mob who attended knocked it out because they said, well, why are you going to drag them down to our level? You know, it's a, um, you know, there should just be exemptions for private property. Uh, but there was a strong support for, you know, having a getting a legal opinion. Um, does private property rights, uh, like it does in freehold land for native title, is it extinguish it? So we're actually getting a legal opinion, probably costs us about $30,000 now, because that question has, believe it or not, never been tested or, or, or questioned or reviewed by a silk. Um, but, you know, to take that to court, Supreme Court, another half million, High Court, another million on top. But it, it, if there's half a chance of that, some property developer who's got his 20 acres over looking, yelling up Bunkers Bay, and he's told that he can't sub it up into one-acre blocks because you know, people won't be allowed to build on the top of the hill because that's where the Wagga lives. He can build it at the bottom of the hill where he doesn't get views over the, the ocean. Um, halves the value of the block. The property developers are going to be the ones who will write the big checks. The miners are sitting there paralysed because it's just too pathetic to run these cases. Like Rio was entirely um, in its rights to blow up Junkert Gorge because they had a, a Section 18 under the old Act, but they were paralysed when that happened. Um, so, you know, the elites in the community seem to be scared of debating anything around Indigenous issues. But, um, you know, as we're going to find in the referendum, I think the, the, the broader community, the mob of Australia, are going to say enough's enough. And are the, obviously it does seem, we've been saying this for a while, that it seems like Western Australian farmers seem, I won't use the word under attack, but it's a pretty... Well, the loss of live exports is really, really hurting because we don't have 25 million people in a domestic market and a lot of uh, people that can work in abattoirs. You know, if you so, you know, we're 30 $40 a head behind. And, um, you know, with such a huge labour shortage, driven by the fact there's such a big mining industry. Over here, if you can pass a drug and alcohol test, uh, you're waving a knife around an abattoir, you'll get a job working in the kitchen up in the mines. But one of the, can you just tell what, us, what, what is the alcohol test? Just so, asking for a friend. Of course. <laughs> like, like, like how, how many beers do you have to drink to get in it? Or... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's disappear at the rate of knots. One of the one of the potential solutions that has been mooted around that live sheep phase out is obviously to send more box product, right? That's what a lot of the yeah, you know, yeah. The, the, uh, the the people that are trying to close down live X are saying, well, we just switch to box. Yeah, bag, bag, bag lamb, or or, or some kind of yeah, a, you know sure. higher value, higher value box product straight into the Middle East. Good solution. Yeah. Yet, just the other day or this morning, we saw we saw a, a decision by the federal government to restrict or not allow extra flights from Qatari Airlines into Australia um, for some other reason. Um, well, the, re the, re the reason was because there was an issue in 2020 where it's it's disgusting actually. But mm. we'll mention it. Is they found a dead baby in a bin bag in the in the Qatar yeah. uh, airport, and then they dragged off some Australians Strains. from a plane to yeah. check to check whether it was no, a no, child pregnant. Yeah, and so there's a bit of diplomatic sort of issues there. 
which is it was a horrific for everyone oh, involved, goodness. but it shouldn't get in the way of trade, in my view. Like no, no. Well, yeah, so your question essentially is, why don't we just you know uh, chill them and send box meat over? Well, uh, there's not enough West Australians getting on flights to Singapore mm-hmm. or Dubai to, and you guys write on this stuff in great detail. Um, and we just don't have the air freight capacity. Um, and you know, people don't want frozen meat. So um, there's just, we, we suffer from not just enough people to work in abattoirs. Um, we, we don't have enough year round um, throughput to keep the abattoirs running two shifts for the spring flush. And as you well know, we just don't have the air freight capacity. So what's going to happen? We will, you know, shrink the sheep numbers um, even further uh, because unless we can find this magical market for frozen mutton, and I don't know whether you guys have a much better idea whether China's, I think, probably the only hope um, because India is not, and Pakistan and Bangladesh not getting rich enough, fast enough to fill the gap. Um What's the solution? I don't think there isn't one. You know, it's well, a well, that's, what, that's what I, that's what I was alluding to. That part, part of not the to, not the total solution. I want to be clear. Part of it. Part of it. There's, there's no one solution. No, no. but cer- certainly part of it in the initial phase, and to help relieve some of the supply pressure right now that's occurring in WA. Obviously, you said there's other there's other things like labour and, and infrastructure issues no. further, further along the supply chain. But if you look at just at air freight. It's come off a long way since COVID air freight into the Middle East. And that was where a lot of that box product was going via air freight because they like it fresh, right? Chilled, um, not frozen. So that being a big solution or a a section of a big solution is now being hindered by a different part of the government. So you've got one government trying to push one particular pathway and then the other side is saying, um, we're not going to allow these flights in. No, well, we're not, we're not going to end up, you know, I can't see the government treating us like Tasmania where they're going to subsidise, well, they subsidise shipping, but they're going to subsidise a, a, a jumbo freight carrier flying backwards and forwards to the Middle East, you know, twice a week, you know, to, to give us a home for the market. And at the same time, creating a special visa to get more people out of the Pacific to rotate in and out uh, to work in the abattoirs as well as telling at the same time the mining guys to stay away from them. You know, that's what's – the problem with the big mining industry in WA, and it is massive, they just go around hoovering up people, you know, try finding a, a third-year ag mechanic apprentice in a country town where a, an attractive young you know, male or female, or usually female, has not gone and taken them to lunch at a local pub and offered them a $20,000 sign-on fee. They're just getting pinched. And so the mining industry goes from boom to bust and we end up with this sort of crazy economy. Um, that makes it its just too hard to run a, a sheep industry or value-added ag industry or horticultural industry. We don't have the domestic market. So what do we do? We buy a bigger John Deere and um, crop the lot. Hmm. It's great until we lose glyphosate or, you know, paraquat or something else. Just, just want to actually point out something. If, if anyone is listening from the... Mining industry. Uh, it's Matt and Andrew. We feel free to approach <laughs> us with a big offer. You know, we're, we're pretty, we're pretty cheap. Uh, we'll, we'll accept fifteen. Yeah, and I'll point out that they're both wearing black, um, and because uh, I can see them on the podcast. If you go to Perth Airport, I don't know whether you guys would look too good in fluoro. 
because that's what you'd be dressed in. <laughs> I think my uh, my my pale skin doesn't work with fluoro. But we can uh, we can get that pink fluoro. Mm. Yeah, it can flash into my face. Yeah, um, <laughs> you particularly like your late nights. I don't know whether you're going to like all night. You know, shifts up and uh, up in in the hot, dry West Australia. So I think you might have to stick to your current day jobs, guys. Never going to make any money at this rate. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so so, but going back to the, it, it just seems like just to summarise the Aboriginal Cultural Heritage Act (ACH), it seems like it's well-meaning, but it's not well thought out. It seems like it's going to potentially, it's going to like Western Australia definitely is going to vote no, and it probably was going to vote no beforehand. Yeah, well, when we were borderline, no. Look, ninety-nine percent of the act is we can live with. It's the 1%, like a lot of acts. Um, the solution is actually relatively simple, which is you exempt freehold farmland that's disturbed, otherwise the bit that you've been, you know, roaring up and down the tractor for the last 50, 100 years, if you had a tractor for 100 years, or the you know, Clyde stuff before that, and your bush blocks, well, guess what? You can't clear them anyway because of the EPBC Act and the Environment Act, and if it's got a granite hill that's important, well, the government can come along and survey it. So we shouldn't have to have a survey where we put a new set of yards or hay shed in. Identify the sites, draw a line in the sand so heritage can't keep moving and recognise in the act that the intangible, you know, the woggle that wanders around above and blows and around us, we can't actually upset him. You know, he, he, he can live with us running around with a boom spray. He can live with us um, putting up silos or whatever else we're doing. It's not hard to do that. It just takes a left-leaning government to, you know, you know, to actually accept that some Indigenous guys who could see this as a money gravy train, and particularly the anthropologists and archaeologists and the lawyers, the industry, um, can stay away from freehold and they can keep making the mining guys life of misery, which they're really good at doing. So it's about, I guess, so it's about trying to get that last 1% amended yeah, look, you know, it's it's half a dozen clauses, um, but you know, it's the, the the it's the definition of the tax acts that you know causes problems. It's the the definition in the superannuation on the cutoff threshold that causes growth. Like all legislation, ninety nine percent is fine. It's the three or four clauses that really cause you grief, um, and uh, there is a way forward for this. But it's been caught up in the the voice and the indigenous and the racist and all the rest of it, and it's taken, you know, people like me who have been vocal critics of it who don't mind running a, a robust argument uh, to stand up. So it will take the peak bodies in the other states and the NFF to actually also have a bit of political courage, and and I'll, I'll watch with interest to see if it happens because um, it's been only a you know. Pastoral Grazius, Tony Seabrook, President, John Hassel, WA Farmers President, myself, not many others, uh, Neil Thompson, a Liberal MP, you know, the, the, the rest have been paralysed in fear. It's been fascinating to watch. But, um, you know, it's certainly woken up the community. We've had a lot of media about it. You, and the think, government's on the back foot. Do you think, Trevor, like we, you know that we're big supporters of state farming organisations? because we think that farmers need to have some form of voice. Do you think the last year in Australia, in Western Australia, highlights the importance of not just putting cash forward, because membership fees are bugger all. 
to WAF and VFF. And yeah, you know, you'd be a member for less than five hundred dollars. Yeah, look, it's but, it's but, be, but, be, but, but being actually involved and in- yeah, look, you know, without us doing our thing, then you're relying on your national or liberal MP, and it's highly specialised the stuff that peak bodies do, whether it's debating. You know, mobile phone tower, where you know, mobile phone towers or heavy power lines across farmland, a big issue in the eastern states, or you know, ag chemicals or trade issues or heritage stuff. That's what we do. And you know, there's you know, a third of farmers belong to a peak body on the on the whole, a third don't, a third say we were all useless because we didn't do something back and supporting the superphosphate bounty in 1972 or something. The brutal reality is your property rights, you know, your, your land, your business is under impact. Uh, you, you need someone to you know, bang on, defend the cause, and that's what we do. We picked up 10% membership in the last uh, six months on the back of exports and heritage. There is awakening out there, and it's good to see. Um, but, you know, it's a lonely job. And, uh, you know, we need farmers to, you know, you got to put your hand in your pocket because the government's going to put their hand, already got their hand in your pocket, and they'll never stop. It's not just it's not just money, it's time as well. Volunteering your time to be involved. Well, in you know, you, and, and, yeah, you know, and, and look, 5% of farmers are interested in agri-politics will actually get engaged and involved. The other 95%, you can support them by, you know, supporting your local peak body. Uh, you guys been to or probably every state and territory and the, you go to the conferences and you present uh, you understand you hear the issues um you know it's we've got an 80 billion dollar industry under threat because you've got the majority of the australian community have actually very little linkages in sydney and melbourne with, with the agricultural rural community and farming and um we it's it doesn't you know government thinks oh well you know we'll put a carbon impost on or you know remove an ag chemical uh, remove the trade yeah that's and um, the industry will survive but actually you're slowly cutting it to bits yeah what's that old as matt as a as a scottish person you know we're heavily unionized Mm -hmm. what's that old song might get paid might get me on part of the union yeah there you go yeah. <laughs> right, oh Trevor. Well, we've taken right. a lot. Of, we've taken a lot of your time. I think we covered the Heritage mm. Act, and I think it'll be yeah. interesting to watch as it goes over the next yeah. couple of months. Yeah. And, and uh, like that's the other thing that Matt was kind of in two minds about whether to actually talk about it because uh, he didn't think it affected the East Coast. But I think it, again, it's already it's, it's uh, the, the peak bodies are talking about it. We know there's drafting going on in the East State, Eastern States. This is a private property issue. It's got to affect everyone at some stage, somewhere, somehow, even if it's, you know, the cost that your kids will pay of getting their little block of land because the price will go up. And, you know, are they protecting heritage? No, they're not. Is there a way of protecting heritage? Absolutely. There's a a, a win-win here. Let's hope the West Australia government sorts it out and that we get a good outcome across Australia. Perfect. Right. Sounds good. Trevor, right, Trevor. thanks for coming on. Matt, Andrew, thank you again. Till next time, see, if there is one. See you when you got nothing on. Okay, guys. Good on you.